The story is told of the young boy who lived in the Swiss Alps with his grandfather. And he loved to go out into the crisp air and to shout words so that he might hear the echoes coming back to him. And he and his grandfather would go out and they would scream, Hello! 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 Goodbye! 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 Well, one day he and his grandfather had a terrible fight. This young boy went out and at the top of his lungs he shouted, I hate you! And the words came back, I hate you. I hate you. And the words continued to echo back for a lifetime. For the one who heard the words, but also for the one who said the words. Proverbs 18 says, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. The most powerful possession that you have can bring great blessing but it can also utterly destroy the other person, often those who are the most precious to you. This powerful possession that you have is not your money, it's not your time, it's your tongue. James 3 says this, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. I was reminded two weeks ago that these things ought not to be this way during our vacation Bible school. Our children sang a song, and if you were here and part of it, you perhaps were gripped by that song just like I was. It was an African tune, and it went like this, Ulimi, 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 the power of the tongue. What muscle is the strongest? It's not in your arms or legs. The tongue wins the power contest. It's heard in the words you say. Words of death can hurt someone when mean or not respectful. An angry word when said and done tears down and is regretful. Words of life can bring a smile, restore joy or add laughter. They build up hope when in a trial and keep you going after the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. If the children were here, they remember that song. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come now from many different backgrounds with many different needs in our lives. We come to worship and to hear from You. We ask that You would grant us grace to be able to listen for ourselves and not for someone else. I ask that Your Spirit would enable us to hear the words that You have for us and not just the voice of the one who preaches. That we might be encouraged in our hearts and live more and more to please Christ our Savior. Amen. A friend of mine, a beautiful, gracious grandmother, about 85 years old, referred to the tongue as the weapon of the woman. And perhaps it is, but no more so than it is for the man. My friend, really in telling her own story, was referring to the woman talking too much or gossiping. There's a graveyard that was found 
in the English countryside that said this, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Men can be just as gossipy, but for the man it may be a spewing forth in angry words that devastate. We all use the tongue to bless and to hurt, to control and perhaps to silence the other person. We all have seen the power and the effects of positive and negative words spoken. Some people have had precious words of encouragement spoken to them, and it shows now in how they view themselves and their world. Others have had very harsh words, thoughtless words spoken to them, and their hearts have broken. Often, years after what was said, they still remember those words. And those words have now colored how they view themselves and how they viewed their world. Simply put, the words continue to echo. There were some words spoken to me when I was young that are really hard to shake. They were mean and they were crude and I have never shared them with anyone. And I remember the exact place And who was there? And I've not dealt very well with those words. And in not dealing with them, the echoes tend to come back. Now, don't ask me what those words are. I'm not going to tell you. Um, There's a reason I haven't. But can you relate? There are those here who really can relate to that. If I ask you to name the three most positive, the best compliments that you have ever received in your life, what would they be? What about if I ask you to name the three most negative things, the most hurtful that have been said to you or about you in your life? For way too many of us, the hurtful things are far easier to remember. Some of us have heard things like, you will never amount to anything. We really never wanted you anyway. You never do anything right. Why are you so stupid? Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? Many here this morning have heard such words and some much, much stronger words also. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's a blank sheet in your bulletin there. If you'd take it out, um, there are some words there that we will talk about in a few minutes. But if you'd tear this off, I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to do something. Um, would you be willing to write some of those hurtful words that you have heard on this paper? Now, some of you, the words are too crude. Um, and too powerful, perhaps, to even write them down. Um, As I write mine, I'll do it in code, or I will abbreviate. Um, But let me just ask you to take one second and do that. If you don't have a pen, um, what words would you write on there if you did? After you've done that, and it may take you a few minutes, just stick it in your pocket. We'll come back to that 
in a few minutes. For some, the words are so powerful that you remember the place who said it. You remember what you were wearing. You remember it like it happened this morning. And it's possible that for someone it did happen this morning because the preparation, the ride to church is often a very, very rough journey. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's writings in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29. Hear the word of God. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Obviously, the Ephesians had a problem with the tongue. Many were allowing the old things to creep back into their dealings with others. They were using their tongues to express things about which they had been admonished in verse 31. Their tongues were expressing bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. This was not just a problem that the Ephesians had. Everyone did. And today, we still have that problem and we struggle with it. We've all used the tongue in coarse jesting, speaking words that do not build up or encourage in any way, perhaps to get a a laugh. If you are gifted in sarcasm, know that your words really cut deeply. Paul's not just talking here, though, about coarse, vulgar, off-color, or even four-letter words. The unwholesome talk includes a me-centeredness talk, which fulfills my own wants and desires and demands. They are words spoken to please myself, or because I have to blow off steam. They are an attempt to get what I want. With the words you speak, is your intent the good of the other person, or is it just to express yourself, perhaps justifying or vindicating yourself? God says to use words to to build up, to give others grace, Our words are to reach a certain standard of wholesomeness. As a Christ follower, how are you doing in this area of your words? Are there unwholesome words being spoken by you? Only the gospel empowers us to have no unwholesome word come out of our mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. In the bumps of life, too quickly, we react, we respond, and we blow people away. Sometimes we give people titles and names, and they are downright mean. They often come out of our own hurt, but they are so wrong for us to speak. Our words are to edify, 
and to build up, to encourage. Our words are to breathe life into the other person, even if the other person has not been gracious to us. How are you doing? Are your words building up, giving life? Only the gospel empowers us to speak words that edify according to the need of the moment. Everyone to whom we speak has a need. In our dealing with others, we're to take into the account the need and to frame our words accordingly. We have the hardest time with those with whom we are the closest, it seems. Instead of speaking words that edify according to the need, we speak too quickly, selfishly, and often in a controlling way, just wanting people to snap to or to shape up. And then sometimes our communication goes to raised voices and accusations and scary threats and inflammatory vocabulary and arrows of guilt. And then it goes to a cornering logic sometimes, and we lawyer each other to death. Now, I'm not picking on lawyers. I have a lot of lawyer friends, and there are a number sitting here right now. But so often, we try to build our case with the other one. Some good advice here for all of us. Um, Lawyering does not work at home. People are like they are for a reason. There is something, a need in their lives that were we to understand it, we still might not like their behavior, but at least we would understand it. And then we could choose our words accordingly. How are you doing with discerning, with knowing the needs of others? Scotty Smith says something that I love. Only the gospel, he says, empowers us to study one another's needs rather than to rehearse one another's failures. Study needs or rehearse failures. Which do we choose? As we take into account the need of the other, we're to speak in a way to edify, to build, to grow, that it might give grace to those who hear. Ponder that for a moment. Our words are to give grace to others. Theologians years ago um, outlined what the means of grace are. Those things that encourage us in our growth in Christ. And they said that preaching of the Word certainly should do that. They said the sacraments should do that. And they said that prayer should do that. And all of those things certainly do encourage us as means of grace, but they missed an incredible means of grace. And that is our words being spoken to each other. How often do you think of your words as a means of grace to someone else? We're so into presentation and we're so into behavior. And we say, just look right, just act right, don't rock the boat. And certainly to our kids sometimes, some of us have said things like, please don't embarrass me. What about in our homes? Would your home be described more as a performance treadmill or as a dispensary 
of grace. God warns us as fathers, especially in this regard. He says in Ephesians 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm convinced that a major way that we as parents provoke our children to anger is with the tongue, the words we use. And I understand that they can do the same thing to us. But our children need to hear words that give grace. If your child is taking piano lessons lessons, and you sit in the other room and you yell out, can't you hit the right note? That child is going to translate that to mean, I will never be able to do this. Death is in the power of the tongue. Whereas with the same child, if you come up and say, I love to hear you play. You are doing great. The child is going to translate that to mean, I can do this. Life is in the power of the tongue. The performance treadmill is also how we relate so often at work and in relationships. At work, we tell people, just do your job. Don't bring your issues and problems into work with you. Do you know how hard it is to send your body to work and not the rest of you? Now, I know that people have to do their jobs, but do you understand that you have an opportunity in how you relate and the words that you speak to be ministers of grace to that person? Bosses and teachers, how do you do with your words? Yes, You have to lead, but you can do so with grace or you can do so with a toughness that is absolutely absent any grace whatsoever. Spouses, you should be the major dispenser of grace to your husband or wife. Whatever your role is, that other person may come to understand God's grace in Christ because of seeing and hearing His grace in you. Young people, what about at school? I hate to tell you that school is starting before you know it. It's soon. You, that first day, may be called names. But don't let yourself get caught up in calling names to others. Your friends need you to be dispensers of grace. Especially with new kids in your school this year, speak words of grace to them. For all of us, do you want to renew a precious friendship that has withered? Do you want to give life to your marriage? Do you want to renew your relationship with your child or with your parent? Change the words that you use. Let your words edify. Let them give grace to the other. That's what God calls us to do. Proverbs 15 says, A word in due season, how good it is. We all have said, perhaps, and have certainly heard, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Big, big lie. They certainly can hurt. Not only have we been hurt By them, but we have all hurt others with our tongues. Only the gospel 
empowers us to speak words that give grace rather than words that hurt and destroy. Now there's one person today that every person here has grieved, has hurt deeply. Our passage goes on to say in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's an amazing verse. If I were to ask you, what are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit? You and I would probably come up with some really, really horrible sins that we would think of. Paul, however, is saying here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the words that you say to one another. When our words give the other person anything less than grace, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Last week, David Alding pointed us to the veracity of the Word of God, the truth that we are to stand upon. And God's Word tells us much about the Holy Spirit that we grieve. The Spirit in Ephesians is called holy. And His special work is to make us holy. And He is grieved as the Holy One when His work of making us holy is hindered by the speech of those who should be His instruments in dispensing grace to the children of God. Scriptures teach us much about the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that He is a person, that He has an intellect, that He has emotions. It teaches us that He was active in creation. The Holy Spirit is active in the work of regeneration. He calls us to Christ. He convicts us of our sin. He's active right now in our sanctification. He indwells us and seals us, showing and guaranteeing us that we belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, and He produces fruit in our lives. He teaches us. He intercedes for us. He fills us. He comforts us. He's called the paraclete, the one who walks alongside of us. This is the one whom we grieve with our words when they are unwholesome, when they do not build up according to the need of the moment, and when they do not give grace to those who hear. What do we do if we realize that our words have grieved the Holy Spirit and damaged others? Well, in dealing with the Holy Spirit, we must repent and seek forgiveness in Christ. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians 4.32 tells us that God in Christ has forgiven us. We are now to walk in newness of life. The words we use are part of of our newness of life. David, the man after God's own heart, said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Then in dealing with others, if we have offended others with our words, we're to seek forgiveness from them. If we have been offended by others, we are to forgive. 
I mentioned earlier that our passage is written in the context of those things that we put off as followers of Christ and those things that we are to put on. Verse 32 tells us that we are to put on being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiveness is key in our being kind and tender-hearted and in our speaking words that edify and give grace. We are forgiven people, and we are to seek and grant forgiveness to others, whether they ask for it or not. Forgiveness is key in our lives. God's forgiveness and our forgiving of each other. Is there someone that as you ponder your life, you just can't Forgive. When we don't forgive, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're looking at the past with all of its hurts, with all of its problems, rather than at the future and God's promises. Our nation's deserts have both hummingbirds and vultures flying over them. The vultures look for rotting meat. Because that's what they love. But the hummingbirds ignore that smelly, putrid flesh of dead animals. Instead, they are looking for the colorful blossoms of the desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But the hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it is looking for. And so do we. If we're looking for rotting meat, we'll find it. Don't allow yourself to live in the hurts of the past and now to hurt others. If we look for freshness and life, we'll find it. And the place to find it is in Christ who has endured the death and the stench of the cross in order to bring new life. How will we know what we find? Rotten meat or freshness of life? One way we will know it is by the words that we use. If you get home today and tear into someone else about what's not right, you're playing the vulture with rotting meat. Jesus is the living word. And he gives hope for our words. Friends, we're to imitate the master whose words were filled with grace. So much grace that the multitudes were amazed in Luke 4. As he was teaching in Nazareth in the synagogue, Scripture says, And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. Words of grace spoken by the master, the one we are to imitate. And we can only do this as we have been transformed by his grace. Our passage goes on. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, 
an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The only way we can imitate is to embrace who we are. Christ has given us a new identity. He calls us to imitate God as beloved children. Being imitators of Christ could not have been more beautifully lived out in front of us than what we saw by the families of the Emmanuel Nine in Charleston three weeks ago. I asked you a minute ago if there's someone you cannot forgive. The families of the Emmanuel Nine at the court hearing for the cold-blooded killer of their loved ones granted forgiveness one after another. Amazing imitators of Christ granting forgiveness. Whom were they imitating? Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. One of the pastors interviewed on TV after that said about the families granting forgiveness, everybody expected us to riot. They don't know us. Having embraced their identity, they are beloved children. If our brothers and sisters can forgive their loved one's murderer, if Christ can forgive those who crucified Him, we embracing our identity as beloved children must forgive. Last week, David Outing finished the service by saying, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. The Word of God tells us who we are. I start with beloved children from our passage, but it tells us so much more. Listen to what God's Word calls you. Beloved children, God's child, Christ's friend, a saint, You have been justified. You have been adopted. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's workmanship. You are accepted. You are secure. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are salt and light. You are part of Christ's body. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are free from condemnation. You are bought with a price. You belong to God. You are assured that all things work together for good. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. You are precious in His sight. You are called by name. Would you tell at least one of those to yourself every day? Would you tell a friend those very things also? We need a new identity Sometimes, Which echo do you hear? The words that you have put onto that piece of paper, do you hear those words? Or maybe the ones that are too powerful and vile to even write down. Or do you hear the words that Christ Himself has said about you? This is to take with you and use it if you'd like it as a reminder. Brothers and sisters, believe the lies 
and the hurtful words spoken to you no more. Consider them gone. In fact, as you walk out today, I invite you to lay these words at the foot of the cross. May this quiet, soft sound of the Father's voice, the words that He ascribes to you and me, may they become like this thunderous truth that envelops us. Hear the echo, the life-giving words that come from your loving Heavenly Father. He calls us beloved children. These words have been echoing through the centuries since He said them. Don't cut the echo off. Hear it. Live in it. Let it resonate throughout your mind and your heart. And by God's grace, may you let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we offer up to you our hurts, our pains, our fears. Would you, by your grace, take these along with the hurtful words and wipe our hearts and our minds clean that we might be like Christ. Fill our hearts with your grace that the overflow, would be gracious words falling from our lips to those in our lives. Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Grant us the grace to be dispensers of grace to others. We pray in Your matchless name. Amen.